I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this. Talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. You're listening to Muses and Stuff, the podcast that celebrates those who live, love, and breathe rock and roll. From the incredible groupies, girlfriends, and wives who went after what and who they wanted, to the journalists, photographers, and other behind-the-scenes characters who play such an important part in rock and roll history. We are your hosts, Shanti and Lynx. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Electrified Porcupine, bringing you the best in collectibles, movies, music, wrestling, gaming, and more. Check it out at electrifiedporcupine.com. Please, yeah. Okay, so we are here with Sam Roberts at the Woodbine Racetrack. In the trailer. For the Queen's Plate in the trailer. Yeah. In the nice, cool trailer. Just to set the tone. It's, yeah. But we turned the air conditioning off so that we could hear what's going on. For the better sound. So we're going to see, it's going to be interesting to see how the temperature, and who starts sweating first (laughs) as we go along here. Hmm. All right. Okay. So far, I think Blake is sweating the most. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're going to start off with some easy questions for you. Okay. Before we get into just to the, warm up a little just to bit, warm up into the tough okay. stuff. Um, we always like to start off with what posters did you have on your wall when you were 12, 13, you know? I, re- I remember it very well. All right. Um, I had a huge life size Michael Jackson poster. Like, I mean, I, it might have even been 
larger than than life size. And a uh, boy George. Michael Jackson in what era? The first era of Michael Jackson. Like the well, no, sorry, the, no, not the, the not the, like the, the thriller era, not the Jackson yeah, Five, yeah. but the thriller, not even off the wall, like uh, uh, thriller era Michael Jackson. Gotcha. Uh, and then Boy George, the Karma Chameleon uh, incarnation of Boy George. That's amazing. The, and that we had this. Uh, sort of elderly lady who used to come and watch us when she was very, very old-fashioned. And she thought, you know, she, every single time she saw that poster of Boy George, she was like, this is an abomination. <laughs> oh, and we're no. like, this is, you know, we're like, get with the, get with the times, Jean. Aww. That was her name. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> get with the times, Jean. That so, could be a song title. I think yeah. that's actually... Yeah. Reach back. Remember yeah, those like feelings. Yeah. Um, I heard you're a big hockey fan. I, I am, yeah. I st- Were you a hockey player yourself? I, I, I was, and I still am. I still play Tuesday nights. Uh, but it's, you know, kind of diminishing returns. It's You don't get better, apparently, as you get older. Oh. You kinda, well, you hit a peak oh. somewhere around, like, 22, and then from that point on. But, no, I'm still very much a big fan. And uh, What level did you play? I played sort of intercity in Montreal, which uh, felt like the NHL at the time. But uh, I stopped growing when I was about 15, you know, so I could... I hear you. I, uh, I, I realized quickly that my skills were not going to take me all the way, and certainly my size wasn't either, so well, I switched my attentions to, to rock on. and roll, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 was your plan B? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, it was... Rock and roll can't be a plan B. It kind of has to, like, kind of like trying to make it to the NHL. There are a lot of parallels. You kind of have to throw all of your eggs in one basket and... and it's not like you just sort of dabble in it a little bit on the side and hope that something good happens. It's yeah. one of those things where you have to, not to get too serious right away, you know, but it's one of those things where you really do have to focus on it a lot in order for it. Kind of adventure. Yeah, exactly. There's there are no real half half measures when it comes to this. So, Who's your favorite Beatle? Uh, as a, I mean, songwriting-wise, John Lennon. Uh, vibe-wise, George Harrison. That's not. The, I didn't answer your question properly because you asked me my favorite, but there's, you know, you kind of have to divide that. Uh, it's hard to choose just one. They are all yeah. special in their own way. Yeah, and I watched the uh, the the Paul McCartney carpool karaoke. Have you oh, seen yeah, that? Oh yeah, yeah. The other day, and it's just one of those things that you know kind of comes on the radar. And then I was like, man, he's a obviously he's a, a very special guy too. And the fact that he's lived as long as he has and still gets to go out there and make that kind of impact on people yeah, is pretty special really to special see how people react to yeah. him and what he does music so. it's like it keeps going even you know 40 50 years later yeah. it's, the emotion's still there for sure and the young kids too you know that's the thing about the beatles like by the way i like to hijack every question onto a, like a full-on <laughs> side tangent so but yeah the beat just seeing how young kids still react to the, the beatles music my own kids there's just something about it there's a there's magic in it, you know. And so you grew up in Montreal. Yeah. Do you are you bilingual? I am. We, Do you ever write in French or perform French music? I have a couple of times. Look, we got Blake's bringing in the beer now. The writer, he's like, and you're gonna be going back and forth to that door quite a few times because we usually have a uh, uh, sort of hefty beer quota he's for in, the. Uh, he's in his natural habitat. Okay, great. That's yeah. that's normal for him. But sorry, getting back to your question, yes, um, I do, I have written in French a few times. I actually really enjoy it, and now with Google Translate, it makes it even easier. Uh, 
but uh, because it's yeah. On our first record, we had a song that was half and half. Um, I really like that one. But I, I, you know, it's I'm less comfortable uh, writing in French than I am speaking it. So you know, to come up with. Uh, kind of musical word, musical sounding, although French is a, is a very musical language that way, but, uh, you know, I always lean sort of instantly to, or automatically to English, but whenever I do sing in French, I find it really, um, really satisfying, so I'd like to, t I always mean to try it more. Actually, we did a a French version of one of our songs called Shapeshifters on a record two, rec two albums ago, and... Um, yeah, it was really fun to sing, and it kind of changes the way you feel about the song, too, mm -hmm. to sing it in a different language. I'd like to do, you know, like, Japanese versions of our songs and things like that. I think I always thought that would get a real kick out of doing something like that, so. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so now for the tough stuff. Uh-oh. No. The easy stuff didn't last very long. That was, like, two <laughs> questions of easy, and now we're, all right. Just going to jump right in, right? Um, so... For our podcast, we normally interview and talk about women mm -hmm. who have made a significant impact on rock and roll, but usually didn't get the credit that they deserve. Mm -hmm. So the muse, the groupie, the wife, the mother, the sister. And actually, when we were um, setting this up, we met or spoke to an awesome woman named Valerie. Mm -hmm. And she kind of helped us set this up. And I said her to her at the end, like, you're usually the kind of people that we go after to ask you about your mm -hmm. uh, job in the music industry to kind of show kids and young girls mm -hmm. like what else that they can do in the music industry. But when we really, really love a band, we ask to interview them. So thank you so much for doing it's this. It's a pleasure. Um, so our, this question is, in terms of supporting and celebrating women, can you yeah. talk about any woman or woman in your life, you know, mother, partner, sister, grandma, who has made a significant impact on well, your success? I mean, uh, with, I don't want to sort of downplay the role that my wife has played or my, my parents, my supportive uh, parents, my mother. Um, but if I, I, there's actually, there are a few people who actually have worked in the music business who who literally gave us our start so if i if i can quickly acknowledge my wi wife jen and my mom um i i'd like to sort of focus it you know attention onto somebody in particular named linda bush and linda was working in uh for universal publishing so we didn't have a record deal we're uh uh we'd been an independent band for a long time and as we sort of talked about before getting your start in the getting your foot in the door is the hardest thing because yeah. it takes it you have to have a champion you have to have somebody who is willing to um, who sees something of value in what you do and is also willing to risk their yeah fight for you fight for you to risk their neck to risk their job yeah. to risk their reputation on you and that takes somebody with not just vision but also uh, somebody who's courageous and, and tough mm -hmm. and Linda is all those things uh, and she was the person who uh, again r yeah really, really champion you championed us up at the beginning got us signed to a publishing deal which meant that we had a little bit of money coming in for the songs that we were writing we were still an independent band we weren't signed to a label mm -hmm. but through Linda's help we were able to kind of focus on playing yeah. and touring and uh, making records, and that was how we sort of 
I think built the foundation of you know what we're still able to do to this Amazing. day. So we we kind of owe it all to Linda. Linda sounds amazing. She is. She's she's still a, a very dear friend. And uh, uh, yeah, thanks, Linda. Cool. Mm. So most artists create and then get to move on, but musicians have a really unique experience of playing songs from their entire ca- catalog mm-hmm. throughout their career. Uh, what's it like to play songs that you wrote as a 20-something, and has your relationship to that work shifted? I mean, for sure, you kind of look at it both ways. So if you write a song, you're 25 years old, 26 years old, and uh, now you're, you know, in my case, 30. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not 30. <laughs> I was going to go with you know, Four years, a lot happens in four years, man. Uh, no, you, you've, there's a part of you that says, oh, you're, you're, you know, what were you thinking at the time? Like, that's not how life really works. And then there's another part of you that kind of gets to go back and be that person again. And I feel like it's kind of a bit of a, of a tug of war yeah. between the two things of, of having uh, experience and perspective coming with just being alive. Uh, and then, but also wanting to go back and to be that person again. And I, and I, so that's kind of what makes it uh, never grow old in terms of having to play the songs. Mm-hmm over and over again uh, because your 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 view of them yes there's that absolute thing of being 26 that's embedded in the song and the mind and the life and the experience of a 26 year old and yet your your new perspective is constantly shifting it's constantly changing and uh and yeah it breathes new life into the songs that being said sometimes you just have to put them to bed for a while too it's kind (laughs) of like plowing the same field over and over again you know if you've eventually it runs out of nutrients yeah so it forces you to be like really introspective too like you're constantly going back to these moments if you're writing you know from your personal life and kind of reliving them it's such an interesting thing yeah right but you're it's it's true in that uh musicians i think in particular have to sort of uh re-inhabit these songs over like daily basically not 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 just once in a while it's a it's a daily uh re-experiencing of something of a feeling but also having being forced to in order to keep it alive also to reimagine it as well and that i mean that musically just play it a little bit differently um so that you feel a little bit differently when you play it too so when um, we were listening to We Were Born in a Flame a lot, we were all still living at home, my brothers and my family and I. And then, you know, years went on, we all moved away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had some difficult things happen in our family. And then there was a time when we all came back together and we went to a show recently. And we were listening to some of the songs off of that album. Mm-hmm. And it had a totally different meaning. Yeah. Well, like, th- it still meant the same, but it had took on a new life again and that 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 comes back to i guess it, that perspective that we were talking about doesn't just apply to to the musician or to the person who wrote the song it also applies to the the people who uh listen to the music who brought it into their lives in some way and they you know you go off and this thing that meant something to you and your family at a certain time when you're all living under one roof and then you go off and do your own sort of lives and then you come back together and you realize that yeah you feel you feel differently about something and that's what music is supposed to do we were talking about the Beatles before how does a song written in the 1960s still resonate in 
two, what year is it? Two thousand eight. Who knows? <laughs> I stopped counting after about two thousand seven. I'm like, I don't know, two thousand something. So speaking of, um, you know, the music getting to the younger generations, um, Monday to Friday, I'm a school teacher, so I am around kids a lot and last week i don't know how i i have just can we just <laughs> an aside for school teachers i mean i walk into an elementary school once in a while they go pick up my kids and the amount of energy if you could bottle that energy we could solve every energy you know we, we wouldn't need like oil or working yeah. i'm not saying i'm not talking about child labor by the way <laughs> just on the i'm just saying like a way of making a battery that like harnesses that but i don't know you know you have uh the most patients and uh, do a I think lot of, of yoga any any profession that I can think of so hats off to you oh, anyway thank you very much um so I was in a grade seven class doing some coverage and they had to each present a song and show the video for something that had a positive message and then at one point when none of the kids wanted to go I was like I'll go I'll go so I put one of your songs up because they were all listening to Ariana Grande and they like there was a Miley Cyrus song and I was just like okay we're gonna put on uh, some some Sam Roberts band so I put on oh they also had to pick out similes metaphors personification imagery so I just played the video put it up and then we looked over the lyrics later and they really seemed to to like it um, it was hard to choose though which song that I wanted to play because many of your songs have a really deep and profound message I think um, right from the first album throughout the entire catalog and it was like you know Tom Petty said that he never wanted to know where that inspiration came from just mm -hmm. in case it would ever go away but like where does yours come from is it a, con a conscious choice to infuse your music with those messages for like greater hope for humanity I mean, it's comes. not completely unconscious, you know. I mean, when you're writing something, you're, you're, you're aware of, you know, the words are in your head before you write it on the paper. It's not like you just sort of, you know, close your eyes and <laughs> scribble something down. And uh, I, I really find that, that, you know, when when I'm forced to think about this kind of thing, because I don't think about it that way, I, you know, uh, there is something that's, I don't want to call it, mystical in any way it's just something that you know it's something that you do uh something that you're born doing in a way too and and in that sense you don't question it too much but i really feel like the words themselves are born from the music um that the the, the music is asking for something so if a song feels ang sometimes if a song feels angry and you write something you know f you vent frustration frustration in your own life frustration about the way the the world is moving and it's quite obvious sometimes that you can flip that and have this nice sort of sunny melodic song and yet sing about something that has a sort of a darker um you know tinge to it and yeah, the m the more I write songs, the more I realize that it's the music dictating what the song will be about. The other thing is that it can be completely random. Like, I'll give it a working title to a song, and I've been I've started to become really careful about working titles because they end up being the title of the song, and they end up being what the song is about. Mm -hmm. And in a weird way, it's kind of an exercise where you listen to what you've just because I always write the music first. It's always just. I'll write a whole song and all the parts and I get really into that and I have no idea what the singing's going to be like or what it's going to be about. And then you sit back and you listen to that and you're like, the first thing that comes to mind, it's like, 
and all of a sudden that's it that's the working title and then all of a sudden that's what the song's about so not to take too much of the mystery away but sometimes it's just the most random you know sort of instantaneous reaction to what you yeah. hear you call it something and then you start to just you know, a spark it could be a creation. character it could be so so yeah it is a, it is a spark yeah that way that's so cool so it's been 15 years since your first album came out. Uh, I heard that you recorded the latest one at the Tragically Hip mm -hmm. studio. You're, you and the band and your music are very much ingrained in Canadian culture. Uh, what does being a Canadian artist mean to you? And do you notice a difference when you play in Canada versus other countries? Well, to, you know, in terms of what... It, it's hard to overstate what being, you know part of the, the Canadian music family is how much support you get from it, how much um, we sort of really band together as a family. There, doesn't, there, isn't, there isn't this sense of competition here. It's, it's actually kind of very closely aligned with, I think, a lot of the, the things we think of as just being Canadian in general, whether, you, whether you're musical or not. We really uh, we have a great deal of support and uh, you know, having it's having bands like the Tragically Hip, having bands like uh, Broken Social Scene, Matt Mays, all these people who became our families over the years, who we share the road with, we share the stage with, we share. I just sometimes you just need to talk to somebody who does the same thing that you do. And we have this amazing camaraderie when it comes to that. Uh, we also get a, an amazing amount of support from the government. Mm -hmm. And you can't, you know, downplay that, the role that, how lucky we are. And how American bands, when they find out that we get, you know, factor funding, yeah. for example, um, how much that's allowed us to keep, to keep going. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, and then there's the... The, obviously the people and the landscape and the things that just traveling coast to coast over and over again seeing this amazing you know ever changing landscape in front of you and how much that informs what you end up writing and how you feel when you write and, you know um, then you like to answer the second part of your question to home is home when you play at home it it's it's one thing it, but music is one of those things that transcends political boundaries and cultural boundaries as well so uh, I'm happy to say that if we go and play a show in the US you know if we play in um, Spain or last year we were over in Germany and France uh, it does, it's not that different people don't respond they don't have like a weird way in front of like the French don't clap differently. You know, I don't know. They could, I'm sure there are places. Heard people in Sweden are pretty quiet. Yeah. Well, we have a minute left and I really wanted to get this one in. And I know you're talking about like some magic and mystical stuff. And I wanted to get this one in because a mentor of mine just posted something that says full moon in Capricorn seeks to give us clarity by calling forth the elder within us to rise. She invites us to step into our center and meet the teacher within the within that embodies our center point within the karmic wheel of life. We have in every new moment of the present, the ability to shift what has been and create a new action within new ripples. But she's been a yogi for like 30 years. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you get this 
are, are you a yogi? Do you practice? Do you have shamanic roots? What's N- going on here? No, I do not. Um, I should probably because I need to. Dist- I need to. You can only imagine what you would unlock if. Uh, there, I have a really good friend who's been into yoga for a long time and uh, keeps telling me it's something that I uh, should get into. I should just start by stretching. I think would be a good thing. Yeah. Uh, in general, but. Um, no, but I think that if you write music, for example, or you practice an art of some way, then you're constantly uh, looking inwards and probably um, a little deeper than most people do. Mm-hmm. And you become practiced at that as well. Mm-hmm. So if you have layers, everybody has sort of buffers that you set up where you just don't want to go beyond that when you're looking into yourself for your own protection sometimes, you know. But I think when you write songs, you sort of, you you can get through that, uh, th- at least the first couple of layers with very little resistance now, just from having practiced it over and over again, to say, okay, here's, I'm writing, I really want to write about something, an idea or a feeling or, you know, and you kind of get through the, the noise and the clutter. Uh, so um, I think that anybody who writes music or paints or... Uh, writes literature can get to that place uh, sooner. Unfortunately, it doesn't make you more flexible physically. <laughs> so, but well, I need to... I'll, that's I'll, I'll I'd tell l- you what yoga YouTube videos to start with. Okay. Yeah. I should do... You know. Well, thank you so much it's for being been a pleasure. so thank generous you. with your time. This is a real dream. No, thank you. And we can't wait to see you perform this evening. Thanks for getting sweaty with us. Yeah, now it's getting... Uh, what do we say? It's like a 10-degree swing, maybe 15 yeah, degrees yeah. right now. Well, let's go take a so. sweaty picture outside. Absolutely. Thank you. Dear stranger, I'd like to introduce you to something new, or perhaps something very, very old. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine is a horror fantasy medical mystery, following the titular monk turned traveling medical investigator. Follow Radolf as he navigates a nightmare world, in which viruses are gods, and the human race are not their favored children. Steeped in history and an aesthetic that can only be described as a combination of occult academia and laboratory Judaica, the heresies of Radolf Burntwine have been described as Umberto Eco meets H.P. Lovecraft. For more information, check out the Patreon at thorb.info. But take care, dear stranger, for some truths are best left unknown.